You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here. So let me ask my, let me start by asking this question. How many of you would consider yourself an early riser? And some people are lying, but yeah. Um, so now I, I am a bit of an early riser, not by choice, but because I have been conditioned to be one by my son, because for the first 10 years of his life, he would wake up at about 545 every morning. And then he would, sorry, I thought we went Pentecostal here for a minute. So that, that threw me off. So, but anyway, so my son would, uh, my son would wake up at 545 every morning for the first 10 years of his life. And so I would wake up at 546 where he would tell me, hey, dad, uh, I'm awake. I was like, thank you for that piece of information. The funny part is now he's 12 and he's sleeping in and I'm walking around my house in the dark like a moron at five, you know, before six. And uh, so anyway, so this is going back about five years or so. So he's about seven and he jumps in bed to wake me up to tell me that he's awake. And it was a Sunday that I wasn't teaching. So I I was going to still be at church, but I was going to be able to get here a little bit later. But that was not in the cards because, by the way, you know the guy who wrote that song, I'm Easy Like Sunday Morning? That guy did not come to church with children because there ain't nothing easy about getting kids ready for church on Sunday morning, right? Like, I'm telling you, like, my kids would be like, we're, go- we're leaving. Like, I can't buy my shoes. Or I can only find one. Like, put on roller skates, but we're going. Do what you need to. And then, oh, no, wait, I found him. And so, anyway, so... Uh, my son wakes me up because he had a question that he wanted to ask me. And so he wakes me up. Hey, Dad, I'm awake. I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. And, uh, and he says, Dad, uh, quick question. Um, why don't you like Mexican food? And which is not, I don't hate Mexican food. I just, you know, I'm just not like going out of my way for it. And, uh, and I'm like, I don't know. I just don't really like it. And he's like, did you like the Mexican food that we ate last night? I'm like, not particularly. Uh, so why would you eat it? My, because your mom loves Mexican food and a woman that beautiful should get whatever she wants whenever she wants it. And, uh, well, thank you. I know it's about her, but the applause is really for me. And so, <laughs> and so, I, I, so I said that and then he says, okay, and um, so what kind of food do you like? And I said, well, uh, Cuban food's probably my favorite. And he said, really? When did you start liking Cuban food? And I said, well, all my life, because I ate Cuban food every day from the day I was born until the day I got married. And, and then he says, hold on, you're Cuban? And I said, yeah. And hold on to your hat, because so are you. And I said, you're, you're half Cuban because you're my son. He's like, whoa, so I'm half Cuban, half Mexican? <laughs> no. Why, why, would, what, why would you think that you're Mexican? Your mom's not Mexican. He's like, I don't know, because we eat Mexican food all the time. 
And I'm like, no, that doesn't, whatever food you eat all the time doesn't mean what nationality you are. And, uh, and just for those that don't know, my wife is Cherokee Indian, and I told her if the church doesn't work out, we're starting a casino. So, and I can say that because she's Native American. So for those who have feelings, that's, that's that. So, so, um, so anyway, uh, but it, it is funny. It is funny the assumptions that we make based on limited data. And, and some of them are really no big deal, and some of them can get us into trouble. And you ever have this experience and where uh, you send someone a text and they don't respond right away? Or you get this one, like you send the text, it says red, and then they, they don't respond. And you know how your first thought is, wow, they must be really busy today. Like, no, that's not. Like, you're like, that jerk is ignoring me. And like, dude, if you don't respond, I will literally burn your house down. And, uh, and, and then, you ever, you ever been texting back and forth with someone, and then you ask them a question, and then they stop, just stop responding? <laughs> oh, Jesus, take the wheel. I mean, that, is, that just set me off. And, uh, and then, because we make all kinds of assumptions, and I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever had that, and then you call someone out for not responding? Oh, that's a risky business. And... Uh, because then you're like, oh, so I'm sorry, you're too important now to respond to my messages? And, and then they're like, I'm sorry, we were meeting with the doctor about the test results. And you're like, uh, uh, hey, I, I'm sorry, I'm calling about your car's extended warranty. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I have the wrong number. And so, and so, but we make all kinds of assumptions and they get us into trouble. Now, here's an assumption that we make. And some of them are innocuous like that, right? But this is one that can really take us off course in life. And that is that we make this assumption that the purpose of life is to make ourselves happy. Now, I don't believe that the goal of life is to be miserable. But I do know this, is is that if we've, well, let me say it this way instead. Maybe you've noticed this to be the case, is that happiness is always attached to purpose. But if we decide that I just want to be happy and I don't want to attach it to purpose at all and I want to disconnect it from purpose, then I end up getting neither. I end up neither being happy nor having purpose. And this is at the very heart of what Paul is going to talk to his son in the faith, Timothy, about in our message as we continue in our series. Now, we started this series, if you can believe it, um, about 10 weeks ago. And 2 Timothy, we, we went through 1 Timothy, and now we're working our way through 2 Timothy. This is the 10th message. And this is kind of a, it's a, 2 Timothy is a heavier book than 1 Timothy. Because 2 Timothy is like Paul's last will and testament that he's sharing. Because Paul, as you know, if you were here last time, you know that Paul was arrested and that he, was going to, he knew he was going to be executed shortly after. Now, if you're not aware, you don't remember, Paul had been pastoring a church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in an area, now it's in modern day Turkey. But Ephesus was in an area where that, at that time, that was called Asia Minor, and it was the, the capital of that region because it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And in that culture, there was so much confusion about what was true and right and good. And Paul has this way of just sharing these words that are old school, and that's what we called the, the series because these words are like latitude and longitude, that you can chart the course of your life by them. 
And while 1 Timothy really focuses on how the church should operate in a culture that's gone crazy, 2 Timothy is way more internally focused. It's about how to have a faith that can withstand anything that comes our way. And so Paul writes these final words to Timothy and not one word. And what I love about this book is that not one word is wasted. And so after encouraging Timothy to have a fearless faith in these opening verses of the letter, now he's going to get to the real meat of the text and explain what that faith is for. And he's going to talk to us about our purpose as a follower of Jesus. And listen, this is so important because if you get this part right in your life, the rest of your life comes into focus. That you know what God has called you to do and you know who God has called you to be, then you're able to cut through all of the noise of this world and walk in confidence and purpose because you're clear. You're clear with who, who God has called you to be. You're clear with God's will and what God has called you to do no matter what comes your way. So we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 8. Here's what we read. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And if you pause there and give me your attention, first thing we're going to talk about, if we're talking about discovering purpose, then here's number one if you're a note taker, is I find my purpose by changing my thinking. Right, before you come to know Jesus, you have a certain way of thinking, a certain mode of life. And you, you come to know Jesus, and the first thing that Jesus does is he begins transforming us by changing how the way we think. Now, when we read this, just to kind of give you a little exposition on part of the passage, is that verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 are all one giant sentence. And if you're not aware of this, the Apostle Paul is like the run-on sentence master, and, and run-on sentences are okay in the Greek language because, you know, they have some different grammar rules. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has a sentence that goes from verse 3 of chapter 1 all the way through verse 14. It's like 12 verses, and it's all one sentence, and I love that. So kids, when you're talking to your teacher and she tells you run-on sentences are no good, you tell them they're in the Bible, and Pastor Bob says it's okay. All right? Then again, you'll also be getting advice from someone who failed all four years of English in high school. So I encourage you to pick your poison. Um, but and I, let, me, let me say this, because some people are newer to Calvary, and they're like, you're the pastor, and you did what? And uh, so just so you know, I became a Christian my first year of college. I became a Christian at 19. And um, I was a mess in high school, but I peaked at the right time. That's why I tell people that, you know, don't peak in middle school, because that's like practice school, right? Peak at the right time, right? Do well in high school, but do well in college because that's what matters the most. So uh, when I got, I graduated with just under a 4.0 average when I got my theology degree. And that's important for you to know because the last thing you want to hear is like, you know, my pastor, he barely graduated with a theology degree. He was hanging on by a thread. Like, no, I, I did very well. And then, because if I didn't, it'd be like, well, can we trust him? I don't know. 
Was he paying attention in 2 Timothy class? Wasn't he? Was he even there? Was he asleep? Who knows? So now, the book of 2 Timothy is centered around these charges that Paul is going to give to Timothy. The first one we saw last week is found in verse 6, where he tells Timothy that, uh, therefore, I'm reminding you to stir up the gift of God that's in you. So that was the first charge. And then he tells Timothy in verse 7, which as we looked at last time is a very famous passage, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so when we begin in verse 8, he says, therefore, and if you've been around Calvary for a while and you're a Bible student, then you know whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for. And what it's there for is to connect the idea of verse 7 to now this next paragraph. And that is this. That in light of God empowering us, that we don't have to be afraid, but we can have power, love, and a sound mind, then here's, the, here's what he says. Therefore, in light of that, don't be ashamed. You don't have to be afraid. That we can live a life that's set apart and different from the culture that's around us. And that's the second charge that Paul will give to Timothy, that instead of being ashamed, that you can, uh, ashamed of our Lord, you can, he says, share with me in the suffering because God has called us with a holy calling. Now, I know that the idea of being, oh, might have a holy calling. I mean, we, we have this idea that being called holy is weird because we think that, I mean, holy people, aren't they, don't they like never sin? And don't they have like, aren't they given like a halo or something? And um, the word holy, uh, it's the word hagios in the Greek language. And the word holy simply means to be set apart, uh, to be set apart from everything else or everyone else for a specific purpose. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. So we moved about eight months ago uh, into a new home, and part of our move was moving these 10 giant boxes of china that we have. And this china has been passed down in my wife's family from one generation to the next. And this is very special dinnerware. And um, so special, in fact, that like... My wife and I, in three months or so, are going to celebrate 25 years being married. And uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that's really more of a feat for her than it is for me, uh, because I get to be married to the most beautiful woman in the world, and she gets to be married to me. So it's not real. I don't know if this is an equitable thing. But um, So we've been married almost 25 years, and we've been lugging this China around for almost 25 years, and we have used the china twice. And the problem is, this is the problem with the china, and the china's beautiful, and, uh, and, and, and all that, but it's, it's never, it never seems like the right time to use the china. It's like, well, should we use the, I don't know, is it really, are they special enough for the china when they're coming over? You know what I mean? And they're like, should we use the china? I and mean, then you got to like, polish this stuff to then use it and then you don't put that stuff in the dishwasher you got to wash everything by hand and and they're like no it's not you know i mean we're just it's a barbecue like that's not and uh but see when you're if you come over my house for a barbecue you're not getting served hot dogs on plates that were made when abe lincoln was president right and and that's what and, and in the same way why because it's too special for that and in the same way if you're a christian here's what here's what happens you've been set apart you've been called according to what Paul says, with a holy calling. God has called us to live different. You're not paper plate common. 
There's something wonderful about knowing that about your life, that you're not paper plate common. You are called to live for a specific purpose. That's why in verse 8, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That word testimony, you may want to circle it. It is the Greek word marturion, where we get the English word martyr. So what is a martyr? A martyr is someone who dies, but not just who dies for any reason. He dies for a specific cause. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Instead of simply dying for a cause, live for the cause. Live your life in such a way that no one can deny what the Lord Jesus has done for you. And so, because when you really grab hold, when you really allow Jesus to grab hold of your life, I mean, he will transform you down to the studs and, and, and just change your life from the inside out. And I, I remember having this experience when I had been a Christian for just a few years, and I had been in a band. Um, I was in a Christian band that had a record deal, and we did a whole bunch of things, but I had been in a band before that, before I was a Christian, and I remember talking to one day on the phone to one of the guys that I had been in a band with, and we hadn't talked in a while, and we were on the phone for five minutes, and he was like, Bob, you sound so much smarter. And I was like, what does that mean? Was I an idiot before? And he's like, well, I'm not, uh, so, so I hear you have kids now, is that right? And I'm like, and, and he just changed the subject, and I'm thinking, I got off the phone, and I'm like, Jesus even saved me from being an idiot. Uh, and that's, that's, that's something. And so, but listen, this is where it begins, right? When you come to know Jesus, there is, there's this place where Jesus starts changing the way that you think. And when you start changing the way that someone think, thinks, their actions become different. In, in, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is what, he, what he's saying. This is where transformation begins. Jesus comes into your life and he starts changing the way that you think. So what does it mean that you renew your mind? It literally means to renovate. Now, let me, let me ask this. How, how many of you are like HGTV watchers? Like, wow, more people than I thought. Okay. You guys have a very expensive hobby uh, because no one just watches those shows. They watch those shows and they're like, yeah, I could take this wall out. And you're like, it's a wall to the outside. And, and they're like, yeah, I don't know if it's load-bearing. Like, no, it's bearing all of it. And so anyway, um, but you know, how does, how does renovation start? You have a plan, and then there's demo day. You get rid of all the junk, and you start blowing out walls, ripping out old tile. Then you start rebuilding. And this is what God wants to do. And listen, the level of transformation in your life is directly related to how much you're willing to let go. Now, and you've seen that on all those uh, HGTV shows, how there's people like, oh, but I don't want to get rid of that for whatever reason. And then now all the renovation, right, has to go around that because there's one thing we won't let go of. The same thing is true in your life. When I became a Christian at 19, the thing, one of the things I'm so grateful for of having become a Christian at an early age is that I wasn't an expert in anything, and I, didn't, I wasn't really attached to too much. I started reading the Bible, and I was just like, yeah, whatever God said, like, I'll go with it. What? I, just, I wasn't assuming that I was right. And listen, so there weren't any walls. There, there was nothing that I was holding on to that, oh, you can't move that. And you've seen that happen. Uh, once again, you see that happen when they watch those shows. Like, oh, I got to hold on to that. Why? And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand that that pet-infested carpet and that those lime green cabinets are so beautiful. And then it's like everything that gets transformed has to go around it. But when we do, when there's things that we won't let go of, it limits the amount of transformation that can happen. 
So the first transformational decision that you need to make, I mean, if you want God to just transform your life, then here's what you need to decide, that he's right. And, and that's not to say you're checking your brain at the door, and I've said this so many times, just the opposite. Christianity is the thinking man's faith because Christianity challenges you to ask questions. It challenges you to research, and it challenges you to seek answers. So, but once again, there, there is this amazing thing that happens when you make a conscious decision that if God has called you with a holy calling, then there must be a powerful plan for all that God wants you to do. And, and, and there's, I remember when I first became a Christian that I had friends that were like, Bob, don't you understand? You've been brainwashed. And I, and, and, you know, and I remember, and I remember saying to them, like, I hope so. <laughs> like my brain could use a good, like scrub. You have no idea, like, the messed up stuff that's in there. Like, I need to, like, squirt palm olive straight in. Like, get this stuff out, right? And, uh, and, and listen, but the moment that you decide that you're going to allow God to transform your life, you're going to decide that he's right. Here's what happens. Your decisions follow, and then the entire pattern of your life, the architectural plan of your, of your life is different, and your destiny has changed. And that's what he's going to say next in verses 13 and 14. Look at what he says. And he's even going to use this architectural language. He says, hold fast the pattern. And that's what that word means, the blueprint. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And this is the second thing I want you to note. We're going to talk about finding purpose. I find my purpose by patterning my life on Jesus. This is the third charge that Paul gives to Timothy. It's the same charge he gives him in 1 Timothy, where he says, hold fast the pattern of teaching that you've seen and that you've heard from the Apostle Paul. Why? Because this pattern of teaching is what changed Timothy's life. This pattern of teaching is what transformed the Apostle Paul's life. And if you look at your life, it's what's transformed your life as well. Are there other patterns out there? Sure. But that doesn't mean that they're going to produce the same outcome. When my son was about three years old. He, he had this thing, it, 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 and uh, it was a super cute thing, where he wanted to do everything just like his dad. And so um, he wanted to make sure that every day we matched. And so if, if we didn't, so I'd come out and I'd be wearing a shirt, and then he would go in and change his shirt to match whatever color shirt I was wearing. And so I remember one day uh, I was wearing this orange polo shirt. I don't know why I was wearing an orange polo, but, you know, anyway. Um, so I was wearing this orange polo shirt. He didn't own an orange shirt. And so he went in, he went through his wardrobe and he comes out and he's like, dad, uh, can you put on a new shirt? Cause I don't have orange. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So we, I changed. And so, uh, but so one night, uh, and once again, he's about three at the time and we order takeout for dinner. And, and let me just tell you, if you learn nothing else today, you'll learn how to properly, uh, put, sa- put dressing on a salad. So when you order takeout, what you do is, is that the container that the, the salad comes in, you open it up, you put the salad dressing on, then you close it up, and then you shake it, like the maraca you heard earlier, and, um, and you shake that up. And this way, what happens is, is that you get the appropriate amount of dressing throughout the entire salad. If you decide to not do that, and listen, you live your life however you want, but you're living like an animal, because what's going to happen is you're going to get a ton of dressing on top, and then you're just going to have just a bed of lettuce by the end that's bone dry. And listen, there's a reason why we smother all of it in dressing. Because have you ever tasted lettuce by itself? Good Lord. 
Um, that's, we got we to cover it with something. And so anyway, so I, I mix it up. Um, and so I, I, I'm getting it. Xander knows what I'm going to do, so I have it there. I put the dressing on, and I'm, and I'm going to mix it up, but I got to grab some napkins. So I turn to grab some napkins, and my son grabs the, the salad. He goes, and he says, Dad, I'd be like you. And he just starts shaking it. The problem is, is that he had flipped the uh, box, the little container, upside down. So when he started shaking it, the bottom, which was the top, opened. And this went, the salad went everywhere. The salad went all over him. The salad went all over the floor. Most importantly, it was on me as well. And so this is my son, he just, he's, he's like, you know, he's blinded because he's got vinaigrette all over his face. And so he's like, he wipes it and he's like, Dad, that was not like you. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And now I'm out of salad. So fork over some of those nuggets. Um, now, but listen, this idea of I'm going to do it just like you, this is, the, this is the point that Paul is making. The pattern of sound words that Paul is talking about are like sound architectural plans that I can build my life any way that I want, but it doesn't mean that it's going to stand. It only stands if the plans are sound. And this comes back to the idea of believing that God is right. That's why Paul says, I was made a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And listen, I firmly believe that the biggest need that we have in the church, capital C, the church globally, is good teaching. Preaching, we, we've been preached to death. And, uh, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, motivational speeches going around. Uh, but um, what we need more than anything is teaching, the faithful teaching of God's word so that we know what we believe and why. Because this is the only kind of faith that will be able to stand when adversity comes. And listen, when you think about any area of your life where you've said the pattern of sound words, the blueprint of sound words that I've heard, I've applied that to this area of my life. You know what you've found? You've decided that God is right, you're gonna do it his way, and you've decided to build your life on a foundation that can withstand any storm. When Jesus preached his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, when he gets to the end, he says this. He says, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, these sayings of mine, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And I want you to notice what happens. Everybody's building a house. They're following a pattern. That's what Paul is saying. This pattern of words. Everyone's following a pattern. But what you've got to decide, if you're, if you're hearing the words that Jesus is saying, that's, that's a start. But he says, if you're just hearing them and not doing them, then you're building your house on sand and it will not be able to, to it won't be able to withstand the trouble of life. And listen, did you notice that whether you're hearing Jesus' words and doing them or you're hearing Jesus' words and not doing them, have you noticed the storm comes for everybody? 
The flood comes for everyone. The wind comes for everyone. But your ability to withstand the storm is based on your decision to hear the words of Jesus, the pattern of sound words, and put them into practice. And this is the point that Paul is making. Hearing the teaching of God's word, the pattern of life that God is teaching you, and putting them into practice will give you the life that you've been looking for. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 15. This is where we make our initial descent. He says this. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. And if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing I want to share with you, and that is I find my purpose by having friends standing with me. Now, let me explain that. Because sometimes we can say, no, 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 I find my purpose by myself. I find my purpose because God tells me what to do and then I just do it. Agreed. You can begin, you can accept the call of God but you don't make it all the way through your life by being an army of one. It's just not the way it works. You see, um, what Paul is saying here is that every one of his friends and co-laborers in ministry had turned away from him. The Greek word for turned away is this word uh, apostropheo, which is where we get our English word apostasy. And that they had stopped acknowledging Paul, renounced their friendship with Paul. And by the way, when he says uh, those in Asia, I don't want you to think like, you know, the Far East, China, Japan, that's, that's what we would call Asia. In that culture, Asia meant Asia Minor. And that is where Ephesus was the capital and where he had planted all of these churches. Paul had spent years planting churches, leading people to Jesus. And so this is, I think, what makes it so powerful is that likely Timothy knew most of the leaders in this area. Why? Because many of them had come to know Jesus through Paul's ministry. Many of the, many of the people in those churches, um, had come to know Jesus through Paul because Paul planted many of those churches. And so when he calls out these two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes, these are two Greek names that were probably church leaders. We don't know anything about them. Uh, the only thing, unfortunately, that they're known for is their cowardice because they didn't want to be associated with Paul. And they chose not to stand with Paul for fear of being arrested themselves. In contrast, he, gives, he tells us about this guy named Onesiphorus. Now, if you're thinking about having children, and you're like, I don't want a common name. I'm just, let me throw Onesiphorus into the mix, right? And if you want to say it a different way, because uh, people call, you know, some of these Bible names get butchered. But if, if you want to go with Onesiphorus, you can call him, some people call him Onesiphorus, and then he just sounds like a dinosaur. So you can go in that route too. Is that a velociraptor? No, it's an, it's an Onesiphorus. Uh, and he shops at Sephora. And uh, so, anyway, 10 o'clock didn't get that. Uh, but we don't know much about Onesiphorus, but what we do know is that he's the kind of friend we all wish we had. And I want you to understand something. Remember, and I talked about this last week, and if, if you weren't here, you got to go back and hear the message, but Caesar Nero in 64 AD had burned much of the city of Rome because he wanted to rebuild it according to his liking. 
he had blamed the Christians. And so there was intense persecution that had happened with um, the followers of Jesus over the, the, Latin, the next couple of years. And the persecution was intense. Many of the Christians had left the city because the persecution was bad. And so they had gone to live in other cities in the Roman Empire. And the other thing that's important to know, so they started rounding up all these Christian leaders and then putting them in prison, of which Paul was. And so that's why. So going around looking for Paul. So you show up in Rome, which is a huge city, and saying they had all kinds of prisons there. And you're like, I'm looking for Paul the Apostle. Letting people know that you were associated with Paul wasn't the safest thing to do. But he finally, and it says that he very zealously sought out Paul and found him. And it says that he, he refreshed him. Now, what, is, what does that mean? Well, once again, not only was the companionship and the friendship refreshing, but one thing you have to know about Roman prisons is that uh, there were no, as I told you last time, there was no food, there was no, nothing to drink, and there was no sanitation. And so if Paul was going to eat, it's because someone brought him food. If Paul was going to drink something, it's because someone brought him something to drink. If, some, if he was going to have a change of clothes, it's because someone brought him some, some clothing or a blanket or, or something else. And, and, and listen, here's why I, I said this in the beginning. When someone thinks, well, my purpose is my purpose and I don't need anybody else to do what God has called me to do. And it's true that you don't need anyone else to commit to what God has called you to do. But no one does anything of significance alone. Paul was called by God, but he had people in his life who assisted him. And that's why Paul prays this blessing on the household, the family of Onesiphorus. Why? Because him going to find Paul was able to happen because his family was supported. Uh, supportive. And it's like no one is an island. We all encourage each other. And by the way, that's not um, always in the positive. Have you noticed that? Sometimes you're around people and, and they aren't encouraging you to do the right thing. That's why you've got to choose friends wisely and not listen to everyone. Now, the funniest thing happened when I was writing this message is that typically I'll get here in the morning, I'll lock my door and I just start reading and researching and writing. And when I had written this sentence, that that's why you've got to choose your friends wisely and not listen to everyone. At the moment I wrote that sentence, I got a knock on my door. And it was someone from the Calvary staff. And they, I said, hey, come on in. They came in and they said, hey, someone just brought Mojo Donuts. Now, I don't know if you've ever had Mojo Donuts. Mojo Donuts are some of the greatest donuts. Um, it's one of the ways we know God loves us is if you've ever eaten a Mojo Donut. I mean, they are just, they're fantastic. And so, um, and so they said, someone brought, and, I, and once again, I've been trying to eat healthier. I know it's impossible for you to tell, but I'm like, oh, no thanks. I don't want, I don't want any donuts. And they're like, well, you've been in here for a while. Why don't you take a little break and just come out and hang out with us? And I'm like, all right, I'll come say hi to everybody and, and see how everybody's doing. So I get out there and Pastor George, perfect timing. He says to me, he says, hey, uh, we know that you love Boston cream donuts, so we got this one just for you. And I was like, oh, wow. But you don't want any donuts, huh? And he's like, that's rude. And I'm like, okay. And so then they cut it up. I'm like, all right, I have a little piece just, you know, just to be polite, you know, with the people, you know. And so, I, I, so and then, uh, then they said, you know, the last time we had Mojo, the, the churro donut was one you really liked. You know, we'll just go ahead and cut you a little piece. And I'm like, well, okay, fine, I have a churro donut. And then... Uh, so now I have a piece of both. Okay, fine. I had two pieces of both. Stop pushing me. And so then they're like, you know, last time we got the Oreo donut, you really liked that one. So let's just go ahead and give you a piece. Anyway, by the end of this, I had eaten almost two full donuts. 
and they were cut in like sixteenths uh, as that. And so it's just like having all these little pieces. And so and I'm like, guys, I'm sorry, I have to leave. Like I have to go back to studying. And um, if not, I'm going to end up eating half this box. And they're like, oh, well, you know, hey, thanks for coming and spending time with us. And then at the end, I get back to my office and they sent me a bill. I'm like, hey, oh, by the way, we're, um, we're splitting this, so you got to cash app George the money. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I just got hustled by people who claim to care about me. And now I'm all carved up, so I don't even know how to say no. And so, and listen, here's my, here's my point, is that whatever you're called to, whatever your purpose is, the right voices are going to encourage you to lean in harder to the thing that you're called to do. Well, what are the wrong voices going to do? Well, the wrong voices are going to feed you carbs and then send you a bill via email. And so, but you know what's going to happen? But listen, in the end, if we discover our purpose alone and go at it alone, we aren't going to get anywhere. Because listen, even the most committed of people when we discover our purpose and we go after it with all of our heart, we need encouragement to stay faithful in the things when things get difficult. You see, Paul is telling Timothy that Onesiphorus was that person that he needed when he needed someone most. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to find the right voices to listen to. And then I want you to be that voice in someone else's life. That God wants to put people in your life who are on a mission from him to encourage you, to equip you, to bless your life so that you can fulfill God's calling on your life. People who are listening to God's voice and helping you fulfill the calling that he's placed in your life. But listen, we need you to do the same for others. This is why we need each other. This is why being in this house is so important. Because in this house, whether you know the person you're sitting next to or not, these, we are all people that are seeking in, in, to go in the same direction. We're seeking to walk with Jesus. We're seeking to know him better. We're seeking to deepen our relationship with him and see him do the good things that he's promised to do in our lives. But listen, we were not created to do it alone. But know this, everything that God creates, he creates with purpose. And you are no exception. That's why, listen, your primary purpose in life is to know God. And if you're looking for purpose apart from God, you're asking for a very difficult life. Instead, Jesus died for you to prove to you how much he loves you. He died for you so you could experience forgiveness and then step into the purpose that he has for you. Because the worst thing that could happen is to get to the end of your life and realize that you wasted it. Instead, we embrace the one who created us you give him your life and you know what happens and this something wonderful that so many of us have experienced we are we were so messed up and we gave him a life that was messed up and in return he gave us something so much better something so much more meaningful than we could ever have come up on our own let's pray together and lord we want to thank you for that promise that you've done so much and yet you want to continue we think of the words of paul in philippians when he says that you who began a good work in us, that you're going to complete it. And so we pray that you would do that amazing work, that you would continue that amazing work, and that you'd encourage us along the way. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. 
It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.